So we're going to go straight in. We're going to go straight in. I want to know about your history. Tell me about you. Oh, it's a great question. Um, where do you want to know from? Like for, for me, I was very, very heavily involved in sports from a very young age. I was extremely privileged um, because I was just one of those mental children that was bouncing off the walls and my parents literally didn't know what to do with me. So they were like, let's just channel all of this energy, Dan, into something productive. And they got me into a whole different array of sports and, and activities from a very young age. I did, um, my mom was a dance teacher, so I did dancing from like two years old, basically as, as, a, as I could walk. I started to dance uh, with my mom on the, the Saturdays and then on the rest of the week I was doing gymnastics, uh, trampolining. That then progressed as I got older into uh, American football, normal football, swimming. And, you know, when I was in primary school, I remember I was literally doing something every hour of the day. When it wasn't school, I'd be get picked up from school. I'd go from one sporting activity to the next. And it was I just found that it was an, a really great platform for me to learn about, you know, a growth mindset and all these tools that I've actually later learned without really knowing or recognizing that I, I had these visual visualization is one that I used to use quite a lot. So with gymnastics, I'm not sure how much you know about gymnastics um, or your, your, your team knows, but essentially you will have a routine. It's just basically like a dance. You do different movements and um, you're scored on your performance as well as the difficulty. So you'd make up a routine or your coach would make up one. And as part of the practice, I would just sit there and think. I would think my way through the routine. And then I'd come to do it and I'd actually, I'd obviously be getting better. And when I come to competitions and I was West Midlands champion and I was, um, you know, nationals and I was, you know, in, in the, the training squad for GB as well. So I got to a very high level and... The last couple of years, they did a study, you'll, you'll have probably seen this, that has said that you actually, if you visualize, you actually create motor neuron pathways quicker and you can actually get more efficient at a lift without even doing that lift. So without even realizing it, that not only was visualization a massive positive driving force in the fact that I was getting the repetitions and making sure that I was practicing, I'm sure it actually helped in terms of skill acquisition as well. So in terms of getting into sports, that's kind of where it always was for me. And then when I got to secondary school, things calmed down a little bit. I got a little bit sidetracked by other activities at that point. Um, and then, you know, I, I left school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, the fitness industry just simply wasn't what it is now. If we look at gym memberships alone, You've got, you know, everybody's got a membership now. Whereas back then, it was such a niche market. It was only really bodybuilders that went to the gym or people that were performance-based athletes. And if you did go to the gym, it was just your cardio or your classes. So I didn't really know. And I was kind of stuck in this societal programming of the pathway that you should go to. You know, you go to college, you go to university, you get a good job, you get a good car, you get a house, so on and so forth. And uh halfway through that I was just like this isn't for me I just thought you know like I'm only going to university for 
the parties and like for the social life. And I just thought like, that's, that's ludicrous. Like I'm going to come out with, I don't know how much it was at the time, like 9,000 pounds worth of debt a year or something crazy. And my course was really cool. It was, um, I was planning on going to commentary and doing car design. And uh, that you get to build your own car. So, it was, so from like a, a, like a laddish sort of like course, it, it seems like it would have been like an incredible experience. But it just, it just didn't set me alight. It didn't, it, didn't it didn't make me feel like I was going to be thriving in that environment and enjoying it long term. And then I ended up getting a plumbing apprenticeship, um, which again, I thought, cool, this is going to be like something that's going to be hands-on. I can be really creative. I can earn a good living. I can, you know, start like decking people's houses out. Um, and I soon realized that that apprenticeship, like because of how slow the, the lessons were and how slowly it develops, I got bored very quickly and I needed more of a challenge. So I dropped out of that. And then one of my friends who I'd simultaneously been going to the gym with for the last you know, two years, three years, started taking it more seriously, um, said to me, oh, I'm doing my personal training course. And I was like, tell me more. I was like, <laughs> I hadn't even considered this as an option. And I basically thought, as he said that, I'd, I'd done two years of training. I started off my journey at eight stone, 50 kilos. I was shorter than I am now, so I was a little bit, bit of a late bloomer. So I was probably still about five six, five eight at that point, but 50 kilos is still very skinny mm -hmm. and just didn't have the confidence, didn't have the self-esteem, didn't have the self-belief. When it came to sports, I was very, very good. And, and I could just pick up things, good hand-eye coordination, good foot-eye coordination. Um, but the muscle, the aesthetic, it just wasn't there. And I remember one of the the driving forces to me going to the gym was girls had bigger arms than me. And like, I just like, as a young boy, I was like, oh man, like that's not like, I just, it just made me feel horrendous. And I just didn't have the confidence to go to the gym in a vest and, you know, wear things that I just thought that would show off my arms, my skinny little runt arms. And um, the, the, the self-talk that I had back then was incredible. It was extremely toxic. And one of the things that I say to people, and when we have discussions of this nature is, if you spoke to yourself, or sorry, if you spoke to your friends the way you speak to yourself, you wouldn't have any. And mm -hmm. obviously that's something that I didn't know back then. And, you know, in that two years building up into the gym, I just created so much more confidence and self-belief in the fact that I'd gone to the gym, I'd been committed to something and I'd, seen the fruits of my labor not just aesthetically but the fact that I'd gone through hardship and then come to the other side something I didn't think I could do you know maybe it was a 60 kilo bench press for example and I started off at you know with the small plates on each side barely doing 20 kilos so those kind of limiting beliefs were being stripped away as I was doing the gym which I think is a lot of people's experience and I just decided I would love to be able to give this back to people I would love to be able to enable people to have the kind of experience that I've had through self-esteem growth, self-belief, self-confidence, and just give that back. I thought, what, what a rewarding cause, even if I don't make any money. And I'm just thinking in terms of it ticks the box, I'll be active. It ticks the box because I, I feel like it's something that is 
purposeful and, and it will bring me a lot of uh, fulfillment. Mm. So sorry, that was quite a long, that was quite a long um, answer to your, your question there. No, I love it. It's really good. And I love hearing like summaries of the way that people have been brought up, the way that lives have, have kind of worked out. And I didn't know that about you going on a plumbing course. Like yeah. I think it's, it's mad because obviously I've only ever known you as a coach. So mm-hmm. to hear you even contemplate doing something else, it's crazy. Something that I did want to dig into there is that side of you when you were, you know, two, three, four years old and you were like, right, I've got loads of energy what am I going to do with it? And obviously it wasn't necessarily your choice. It was your parents going, oh my God, how can I tame this wild beast? What other traits do you, looking back, did you notice were in you back then that have fed into be a really kind of positive thing in your adult life? I think for me, um, something that really sets me apart, even now to quite a lot of people, is... I just, and it's been, it's been toxically extreme in some cases. Like I just am so logical in the sense that I don't find challenges daunting. Like, I think it's just because from such a young age, it's been instilled in me that whatever I can, like, if there's a challenge there, I just have to do X, Y, Z. And then ultimately I'm going to have to do that a hundred thousand times to get to there. But eventually I will. And I think that it's just been constantly reaffirmed through all of the different sports, you know, with gymnastics, gymnastics and trampolining is a perfect example. The amount of times they teach you a move. Well, so trampolining, for example, they'll teach you a basic flip. They'll put their arm out, they'll catch you, but then you've got to do that flip without them supporting you. You've got to do it without being in the harness. And that means you basically fall on your face, quite literally. You fall on your head, you fall on your face, you fall on your back, you fall off the trampoline. And it's just a case of just get up and do it again and again and again. And you, like you, I just literally was so stubborn, and I am now so stubborn, that I don't want to be defeated. Like I'm one of the most competitive people you will ever meet. And I say that with all pride because my family, <laughs> my family, um, yeah, they, they don't play games with me. They don't like playing because I like to win. <laughs> and um, Monopoly is now a banned game in our house. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Because so it, does tension kick in? No, like because, um, like I said, like the, the whole aim of playing a game for me is to win. It's not for the enjoyment. So when they're making deals, I'm like, no, because if I give you that, then you have the potential to win and, like, I'm winning, so why would I do that? And they like to have the kind of community and like, you know, movement stuff, whereas I'm very much a case of whether it's a board game, a computer game, a a foot race, like all you have to do is, uh, maybe it's the male ego as well, but um, all you have to do is challenge me to something and I'm there. Like, it doesn't matter if I haven't run in 10 years, like I'm going to try and run and beat whoever it is at a running race. And then I'll still be annoyed if they're better than me. I'm still going to be annoyed and I'll go away and I'll uh, secretly get some sprinting lessons behind them and then challenge them to the the running race a couple of months later. I'll be like, yeah, I don't know what happened. Like I just got quicker. Just by chance, it just happened. Yeah, literally. 
So I hear less emotional, more logistical, competitive, mm -hmm. resilient. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been moments, of course, especially in my life where things things knock you back, don't they? And we, we've spoken, you know, face to face about challenges and, and how life can throw little twists and turns at you. But ultimately, the way that I've always looked at those is although terrible in the moment, whether it's falling on your face on a trampoline, uh, gymnastics, you fall off a bar that was six foot high doing a flip and that hurt, or whether it's life that just kicks you when you're down. Ultimately, whenever you go through those, you always come back stronger because you learn a lesson, you implement something in afterwards that means that you're not going to get in that position again. You know, whether it's financially, whether it's relationship wise, um, but I've always been very, very logical. So if I've had bad breakups, like I'll make sure that I will logic my way into, okay, what were the causes of that breakup? Why did X behave in that manner towards the end of the relationship? Why did I potentially like where, like I'm, I'm a very deep thinker. So I will analyze absolutely everything, figure out the reasons why, and then work on that. So if I know that I've done something wrong, I'll work on that and make sure that that's no longer an issue moving forwards. Um, so almost a bit obsessive, actually, to be honest with you. Now that I've explained it like that, I'm not entirely sure that's a positive, to be honest. I like, again, it, it, it just is, whether it's negative or positive and different people listening will have different views on that. But one thing that came to my mind then was some things can't be solved with more thinking. Some things mm -hmm. are sometimes inexplainable. So then what does obsessive Dan do in that situation? When they're not controllable or when I can't solve it through thinking? Yes. Oh, it blows my mind up. It blows my mind up. Like, because I'm, I'm there trying to figure out the logic and reasoning behind the subject, like whatever it is, but I'm there trying to figure it out. And like, it, it, it's very difficult for me to understand things when they're not logical and rational because I'm just so, that's just the, my default. So if something's much more of like an emotional response or out of my control, like if it's completely out of my control, I don't let it bother me because ultimately, what can I do? You know, I'm, go, I'm just gonna sit and try and figure something out that I'm never gonna have any control over and it's not gonna make a difference anyway. But if it's something that's very like emotional, like in the past with dating and stuff like that, like because I'm so logical, uh, like any of my previous partners, if they've been more emotional, you can imagine that that's obviously led to problems because I've just been like, I, I don't, I don't understand what is going on here. Like for the for the listeners, it make that makes me sound like an absolute emotionally uh, reclusive individual. I'm not. I promise. It's just the fact that um, that's my go-to is the logic first and then the emotion second. I've actually over the last couple of years been having therapy to expand my knowledge on myself and i think it's it's something that i'm really passionate about i don't know if i've told you this yet actually um but i think that therapy is something that everybody should do whether they have the availability the finances to pay for it because or if they just read about it just the self-awareness of, of and learning how you react how you think how you process and if you understand those things, then you become 
a completely different human because you can catch yourself in real time. You know, if you start to build a story in your head about X, Y, Z, uh, and, you know, you know, if you're having a conversation or, you know, you start to get a bit of anxiety and, you know, maybe it's a, you know, we're in business. So maybe it's a client that messages you and says, you know, I want to, I want to have a chat, you know, and you think, oh God, they're going like, to cancel or something's wrong or, you know, whatever story you're telling yourself, you can kind of catch that. And, and actually, you know, question it and think, you know, what, like, what's going on here? You can sit with it, you can journal, you can meditate on it. So um, there's definitely more, more than logical going on there, that's for sure, now anyway. But that has been my historical default. Mm. And what would you say, we have spoken about therapy before, and I'm with you. I think the world would be a better place. And I cannot wait for the UK to catch up with the USA because it's actually, wouldn't say fashionable over there. It's just normal. Whereas yeah. here, you know, I think with younger gen, it is getting more popular. But with people mm. who I work with, the ladies who I work with, it's generally 35-ish, but more 40s plus. And it's like a really big, like, oh, no, like you only go for therapy if you're nuts, you know, or if you're yeah. having a breakdown. But I see it as it's to get to take me from good to great. So within yourself, what would you say? So I, I hear the self-awareness side of things is probably a very good um, positive for you. Mm -hmm. But would you say that there is one element of you that was a massive bottleneck or glass ceiling that you maybe didn't perceive would happen that you've now been able to overcome? Yeah, there's been a... There's been a couple of points, um, like because of my upbringing, um, you know, the way that my like my relationship with my father was, and those sorts of things. For me, establishing boundaries was difficult um, for a long time in my life. I was like a people pleaser uh, at school. I was the class clown, you know. So it's all stereotypical stuff, really. But going through therapy, reading a lot of psychology books. And, and, and establishing boundaries has been the most rewarding thing because it is actually an act of love. And like for me, I kind of always viewed boundaries about as, as control, as manipulation because of my programming. And, and so that was why I really struggled with it. I was, I, I, in, psych, in psychology, what we do, you'll know as well, is we pendulum. So if there's an experience or something that, negatively affects us we tend to go the complete polar opposite rather than looking at it and going okay like probably there's a healthy medium that's exactly what i did you know i i went from you know very strict upbringing as well to like no boundaries with friends no boundaries with partners and you can imagine obviously that is going to be an absolute nightmare um which is ultimately what led me to the therapy journey but that's probably the biggest bottleneck. Obviously, there's been a lot of other things in terms of working on the emotional side of things as well to better understand and, you know, be be more, uh, I guess, loving and, and compassionate when it comes to, like, the more emotional responses and understanding um, the differences between, like, the masculine and feminine responses in terms of emotions. Mm. And when you're a coach who works with women, that is because obviously you work with both sexes, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So 
it is something that we have to get very good at is you know being able to like our first motto is always seek to understand mm-hmm. everyone has got a completely different view of the world and no matter how much psychology we can study we still have these individuals who are unique and it mm-hmm. can sometimes be hard and you mentioned there about people pleasing mm-hmm. and boundaries and I want to tap into now societal norms. Let's go there. Let's go there. So what would you say? This is a, this is a big question. What would you oh, say? Oh, no. Are you going to try to get me cancelled here? No, 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 no. <laughs> like, my, my ladies won't do that. They'll love you. Don't worry. Okay. But like, what would you say? Because I like I am societal norms. Some obviously great, but it's always been ingrained in me, I think, because of my childhood to go against the grain, to go against the norm, not just to be a rebellious dickhead, but to, you know, I always question, why is it Mm -hmm. done like that? Why do they do it like that? Why does she do that even though, you know? And so what societal norms do you believe are holding people back the most? Or what ones do you think we now need to start going against, in your opinion? I I think the biggest one is the, the pathway that everyone treads um i think that it's 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 a valid pathway if you are wanting to go into certain career fields you know going to university i think is completely valid if you're going into a medical field or if you're going into law or if you're going into something that you actually need to go to uni for that there's no other way around it i think that a lot of the societal programming that we have stems from like an intergenerational like trauma response essentially and i think that that has led us to this kind of moment where so many people are going to uni lots of my friends you know all of my friends went to university i was i was like really one of the only few that didn't and you know a lot of them have come out and they've got normal jobs that are completely unrelated to their degrees and they come out with, you know, yeah, fine, it's student debt, whatever, but it's still debt, you know, and fine, maybe they had a great experience. And there's definitely an argument to be had about networking and university and, you know, that sort of thing as well. But I think that that's probably the biggest issue. And I think that as an extension of that, the relationships, I think for me, it's, it's you know, seeing a lot of my friends now at the age of 30 who have already been married, have got kids, and have already been divorced. And I don't know their I don't know their interpersonal dynamics of their relationships. But for me, I think there's something wrong with our society when we start to look at the divorce statistics. You know, there's something going wrong there because ultimately, like I believe in marriage, I'm like a romantic at heart, but I do think that if, you know, there's like, I think it's something, I, I don't want to misquote the statistics, but I think it's like 60% of divorce, uh, marriages end in divorce now. And 90% of those are, are within the first year. Like, that's really? crazy. Yeah. So 60% of all marriages end in divorce now. So I think that there's a lot of, I don't know whether it's a UK thing, I don't know whether it's a European thing or whether it's a total Western thing where there's this almost pressure to do those things oh cool yeah i've gone to uni now i've got a girlfriend oh i've proposed to my girlfriend 
boyfriend, like whatever. Um, and now I've got the house. Now we've got a kid. You know, there seems to be this rush to just get everything all at once. And I think that's an issue. And I think that it's going to be a big, big change over the next, you know, 15, 20 years. Another statistic, which I don't know if you know this, this might be quite shocking to you, is that for the first time, 51% of females over the age of 30 haven't had children last year. Yes, females. <laughs> That's the first the first time. So I blew that. Yeah, and it's it's mind blowing. So I think that there's a there's an issue when it comes to what we're told makes you happy versus what actually does. And I think we live in an age now where you know I'm in India right now, you're in Shrewsbury. And the fact that we can do this podcast we can have a conversation we can stay connected we can do business now look you can genuinely make money in any way i think we mentioned this when we met up um you know a couple of months back i used to be a hardcore gamer so that the introduction to my story i missed out in um my secondary school years i started to just use a bit of escapism to be honest and i just gamed like i just played my xbox a lot and back then it was a total waste of time like there was nothing in it like I, I enjoyed it and i made a lot of friends on social on uh, social media but on the the console with the game chat and all of that sort of stuff but now you can make so much money playing games from your bedroom streaming it like it's it's absolutely mental the opportunity that i think that we have nowadays but so many people are concerned about taking that leap and I was too before I did it. But ultimately, it comes down to that, you know, are you going to lean into uncomfortableness? Are you willing to, to step into those moments of discomfort to then grow out of it? And sometimes you need a little bit of a push by people like you or me. And we'll go, mm -hmm. okay, come on, come over here with us. It's mad because it's like choosing the path of most resistance is what we need to do. You know what you resist we must kind of embark on and but it's something that not many people in society will do and i think that's why we connect so well because we're very mm -hmm. similar you know we're both very tenacious we're both very driven we both absolutely love psychology you know and we've got that relentless pursuit into achieving whatever we want to achieve but and i think that's why we both work so well as coaches because those elements those almost dogged elements within us it oozes into the clients that we work with. Um, mm. I love how you tapped into the kind of generational and societal expectations and norms around relationships, because obviously we're both single and we've talked about this a little bit. And I just mm. want to tap into that because a lot of my followers are either similar age to me. Uh -huh. I see you smiling. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> They're either similar age to me or they are women who are happily married and they're loving it or they are married and maybe we'll be embarking on single life in not very long at all once we can boost their energy and their um, kind of self-belief and stuff like that and logistically yeah. sorting it out. And obviously we've spoken before about um, your kind of dating experiences. So I'd love to hear whatever you're prepared. <laughs> sure. Talk Ask away. Ask away. <laughs> Just about your, because like I'm new to the game and I'm finding it very interesting in I am who I am. 
I'm an intense human being. A lot of people don't understand me. Yeah. And I love it because it blows people's minds. And my friends will always laugh at the questions that I ask. You know, sometimes if I go on a date, I go into just, this is Sasha, this is who I am. And okay, they will hold help. On. Let's okay. pause. Let's pause. Now that you've mentioned that, we have to hear one of those questions. Okay. Well, yeah, this is a good time to see if you actually think that this is a bad question or not. Being someone yeah. who I see is very similar to me. So I was chatting to this guy a few weeks ago and uh, I just said to him, so what are you passionate about? Yeah. Is and that, that went south. Like, he just was like, oh, I don't know. Red flag. And I was like, red flag, red flag. Yeah, Abort red mission, flag. get the fuck out. <laughs> you would red think flag. so too. Yeah. Okay. And do you think that asking <clears throat> that question, my, my, I've got two best friends, Ellie and Emma, and Ellie was like, yeah. gosh, for fuck's sake, no wonder you're not getting anywhere. Like, that is such a uh what does she say that is such an interview style question yeah you're asking the wrong person here remember i'm such a logical thinker that for me those are the sort of things that i will come out the gate with because i don't want to waste my time like it sounds callous it sounds harsh but i don't want to waste my time like i love my life it's a busy life i enjoy what i do i enjoy my own company so i don't really want to waste my time getting to know someone that isn't going to add anything to my life. So I will ask questions like that because I want to know what their brain's like. And if they don't know what they're passionate about, I'd like to know why they don't know or what they're doing to think about it. You know, I won't maybe ask in that blunt way because obviously it'd be, that would be very interview stylish. But yeah, I would, I would ask 100%. That's something that I would ask, you know, what are you passionate about? What do you enjoy? What fills you with like enjoyment and fulfillment? You know, what do you do beyond your, you know, because if you're not self-employed, nine times out of 10, people don't enjoy their jobs. So what do you do outside of work? What self-development have you done? For me now, when we've spoken about this, now that I've done therapy and now that I've built a self-awareness and I know like how to regulate my emotions, one of my checklists is I just wouldn't date someone now that hasn't had any therapy. I just wouldn't. Um, and, and the reason why that might sound very harsh, but the reason and the thought process behind it is because I didn't truly know myself until I'd gone down that path and I'd learned everything there was to learn about me. And obviously there still is more to learn. So I now know in the majority of situations how I'm going to react and I can trust the way that I'm going to behave. And I, and I know that I've got everything. I've got my shit under wraps basically. But if someone hasn't gone down that path, then they don't know themselves. So how, like, if they don't know themselves, they can't trust themselves, then how can I trust them? Because life is going to throw a bunch of stuff at us. And if they don't know how they're going to react in a situation, then, you know, I don't know. And, you know, in a relationship, you obviously, you can't control the other person. They're not, they're an incontrollable, you know, person. And... That's the issue. You know, if, if you've got that awareness, you are in complete control of yourself. The scary part is, obviously, there's a, another autonomous person that may not be as in control or aware of themselves. So that, for me, that's one of my big checkboxes. Um, I wouldn't date anyone seriously unless they've done that. 
or unless they've done a lot of self-development in other avenues, it wouldn't just be therapy. So, you know, if they, if they can kind of show me that they have a growth mindset in terms of they're willing to learn, develop, and, and, you know, they're not very closed off, then yeah, also that would be okay for me because then if you, I believe if you have a growth mindset as, as opposed to limited or, or, or shut off or closed, however you want to describe it, it just means that if there is an issue with either one of you or both of you or life, then they're going to do the work. They're going to be curious about it and they'll, you know, and I think that that's something that has become a rare commodity these days. And I think it's unfortunate. Mm. I agree. And I do like self-awareness. I find a very, I find it really interesting especially as you start to learn more about it yourself and you start to become aware of how, how you're acting and you can, from a non, non-judgmental um, point of view, you can look at other people's behaviours and start to, you know, just see what they're doing and why they're doing it and just be curious. Mm-hmm. So do you believe that the... Because I, I, I'm very glad you said then it's not just about therapy. There are, there are different ways to develop your self-awareness. I'm very glad you said that because that was going to be one of my questions. Yeah. What do you believe about, like, let's say stick to Western, Western society. Do you believe that the mass majority of people are not self-aware? I 100% believe that. I think that it's a massive majority of the populace. Um, I love one of my favorite films is The Matrix. Have you seen The Matrix? Yes, but like donkeys ago. I just think it's a perfect analogy for life now Um, because so many people are plugged into the matrix and they just are not aware of what's going on and the fact that they're just living life on this rolling like trajectory of just okay I'm just following what everyone else is doing and I think it's I don't know why but I think that it's it's a shame because there's so much there's so many people that I speak to with incredible ideas and I say to them well why don't you know why don't you do something and their go-to response is always but Dan we're not like you and and to a certain extent I get that but there's nothing special about me there's nothing special about you I'm sorry I don't mean that in an offensive way but the reality of the situation is you're going to suck at anything when you first try it and you know, I've had friends who have wanted to set up dog walking companies, um, you know, which are incredibly profitable. I've had friends that wanted to do like dog daycare centers. Um, a lot of my friends like dogs. So um, uh, I've had lots of business ideas. And, and yet years down the line, they've done nothing to it. They've not even made the first step. And it's all out of fear of failure and you know not disappointing people or not wanting to fail which you know objectively by doing nothing they're actually causing that but it's it's really difficult because if you don't have someone that shows you that and if you are not of a growth mindset it is a massive barrier because you are going against absolutely everything that you know you know potentially your family like nobody in my family is self-employed like nobody owns a business they're all, you know, working class employees, which again, that's not a problem if that is something that, you know, is going to set you alight. But they will hate their jobs as well. 
you know, and the, the, the common conversation in, in my family and I'm sure in most is how much they don't enjoy their jobs. And I remember being really aware of this as a, at a very young age and just thinking, why? Like, it makes no sense to me. Mm. Like, I'll give you an example. My dad's as well. Um, he was in the IT industry and he, he was always, he would come home and he would, he would moan that other people had got promoted. He didn't get promoted and that sort of thing. And I just remember thinking, well, well, what, like I was young, I was in primary school. I was like, I don't understand why though. Like if you're, if you're as good, if you're truly as good as you're saying, then you should be getting the promotion. So what's going wrong? And he used to say to me, he was like, yeah, but I just don't play the game. I don't like playing it. And I'm like, well, even back then, I remember thinking, well, why are you moaning then? Like, if you don't want to play the game, if you don't want to network, if you don't want to build those interpersonal relationships, whether you want to call it ass kissing or, you know, whatever it might be, if you don't want to play that game, you're not going to get promoted. And therefore, <laughs> don't moan about the, the lack of end result. And I remember that was a very clear thought in my head. Like I said, always been very, very logical. So, yeah, it was... I think it's it's a it's an interesting going back to the matrix. It's an interesting analogy because it's all of the programming. It's the generational programming. It's the media programming. It's absolutely everything. I think an interesting one is um, you know the fact that we're in a recession right now and everybody panics. Everybody's going mental now. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, the cost of living is going up, but a recession is just two quarters where the GDP goes down. That's it. That's it. And yet everybody loses their minds. Mm. Hello, media. And, and that's the thing. Like, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist because I'm, I'm certainly not. But in terms of like the media that we, we take in, social media, the people, I'm a big believer in you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And if one of those people is your folk and you're constantly looking at negative media, about how bad the pound is currently or xyz is is you know i won't mention it because it will downplay the uh the algorithm of the reach of this but you know when there was lots of media reports about um certain hospital things it just it was just miserable it was just miserable to to be around and i just think that again that was a situation where i felt like i couldn't do anything about it so why worry? Like, I've, I'll do everything that I can to keep myself personally safe and my family, but I don't need to be absolutely plastered with it 24-7. And the media just loves to do that because it gets attention and it sells. Mm. So, well, it's scarcity. Scarcity yeah. sells. So I want to finish by asking you then, cause, so your friends say, well, I'm not you. You know, the reason why I can't start the dog walking business or the dog grooming business is because I'm not you. And I hear you on that. You know, a lot of people have said to me, it's all right for you or it's OK for you. Whereas I think we both come from not privileged families, you know, and there are many like our lives. I know for me, definitely like life could have gone in many different ways it would have been quite easy for me to use the excuse of what might happen with my father as a reason to be a coke addict or, you know, whatever it might be that is old because woe is me. What is it that you believe that you and I have cultivated and created because we're not born with it. It's not like, what's mm. that advert? It's like maybe you're born with it. We're not like, that's not us right yeah. now. 
what have we created through our life that has enabled us to have this tenacious driven we will fucking make it happen regardless of regardless of circumstances type attitude to life i think it's the reaffirmation the confirmation when you get into these moments of discomfort and then like i said getting through them so i'll give you an example um from my personal story so once i been in the gym for a couple of years I hated like one of my like things was I hated my photo being taken which is hard to believe now um but I absolutely hated it and I you just couldn't take a photo of me from the age of like 12 to about 16 17 there's only a few photos of me on holiday there's no way you would have got a photo of me topless like it just wouldn't have happened um but I booked a photo shoot with Simon Howard and a friend. And because I booked it with a friend, I didn't want to admit to my friend, like, this is like a male ego thing, 100%. I'm totally aware of it. But I didn't want to admit to my friend that I was bricking it. Like, I was beyond nervous. But because my friend was there, there was no way I was backing out. And then when he asked me how it was, it was the toxic masculinity, like, yeah, I'm fine, mate. Like, how are you? Like, yes, like, whatever. Like, this is easy. Yeah, you're nervous, mate. Like, come on. Um, and that that was it, really. And I, I, there was a real clicking point because when I tell you I was nervous, like, I hated my photo being taken. I'm not exaggerating. I like, was so uncomfortable with it. And then when Simon literally just turned it around and, and showed me the preview of what I looked like, blew my mind. It changed the way that I viewed myself. It changed the way that I thought like I've ruined today like up until this moment all of this stress this anxiety this like oh this is how the story I was telling myself it just wasn't reality it just wasn't the truth and then when I kind of that clicked I was like what else is not true what else am I you know telling myself what other stories have I been told that aren't true um and I just started looking for more and more things that I was uncomfortable with and I was scared of. And then now it's a little bit of a thrill. If I find something that makes me nervous or anxious, I'm like, I'm doing it. Like, mm. don't, I don't even think about it now, but it's because I've gone through those kind of little moments, I think, and, and you have as well, where I've, I've rode that wave of anxiety before. And then I'm like, oh, Actually, the story was much worse than the reality. And actually, the reality was very rewarding, very fulfilling. And it's now added this extra level to my um, self-esteem and, and confidence. So I think it's just the willingness to get uncomfortable. Because if you speak to anyone, your clients, if you make them uncomfortable, that sounds horrendous. But if, if they get into uncomfortable situations, training is a perfect example. A photo shoot is a perfect example. Even if they don't think that they want to do it, like I did a uh, photo shoot with my female clients where it was fully clothed. Like I basically just had them as like a pamper day. Um, I had a makeup artist on set, had a hairdresser, um, a photographer, and they could choose whatever they wanted to do with the photographer. Some of the ladies came in like ball gowns. Some of them wanted to do like boudoir shoots. So it was a whole different variety of, uh, of shoots that day. And um, every single one of them, even though some of them at the beginning were like, oh, I'm not 
really sure about this stuff. Like, you know, I've done a lot of work, but I, I'm not sure I'm comfortable enough. By the end of it, I had to drag them out. I'm like, come on, your time's up. <laughs> I'm like, we've got to get another like 10 people in here. I'm like, and they were loving it. And and that's the thing. I think once you you have a moment like that, it's hard to be. It's very hard to be. And I think going back to your question, it's just being courageous. And, and courage is not the, the absence of fear. It's still doing something in the face of fear. Mm. And I hear you, but all that keeps coming to my brain is, so we've got whoever it is listening to this right now. And mm-hmm. they're like, I've, di- I've, you know, I've failed at this diet and I failed at this and I've never done what I want. And I've got three kids. What, how could we get them to go from that narrative? And it is a story they tell themselves, but they also have evidence to back it up. So mm-hmm. what do you reckon we can do? What well, one bit of advice, which, yeah, that's going to be maybe a bit hard to break it down to that. Can we give that woman who's listening to this now or guy who's like, right, I failed at everything mm-hmm. before. How do I get that courage? How do I step out of my comfort zone? start small i think that's the most simple advice i know that sounds too easy but i think starting very small and and your level of discomfort doesn't have to be that much it just has to be something that you're not really sure that you could do so a lot of my clients when i was face-to-face personal training would be gym phobic so it was different back then because i was doing personal training but just Getting someone to the gym is often a huge task in itself. So get yourself, if you're, if you're not a client, get yourself an accountability partner. Get yourself someone that supports you and encourages you. And if you're really nervous about going to the gym, whether you're a guy or a girl, because I was very nervous about going to the gym, you know, for, for the judgment. And like the reality is nobody cares what you're doing in the gym. But the story that you tell yourself is that everybody's gonna be staring at you. Everybody's gonna be judging you. People are gonna be looking to see how you're doing the exercises, if you're doing them right, if you're doing them wrong. And no one cares, they're too busy, wrapped up in their own little bubble of narcissism. So like, that's the thing, like nobody is gonna actually even notice that you're there, but that doesn't help those people. What does is having someone, you know, going on, calling your local gym, can I get a tour of the gym, can I, you know, just, just taking that first step. Once you're at the gym, you don't even have to do anything too drastic. You know, I had a call with my mentor yesterday who, uh, I have a mentor for lots of different things, but this mentor I work with for healthy masculinity and spirituality. And we were discussing lots of different things that I'd set goals with him. And one of the things that I've just missed recently was reading. And he said to me, he's like, Dan, you're being too much of a perfectionist about this because you're wanting to read a good amount and get like retain all the information. But he's like, you could read a page a day, right? And I just was like, oh my God, yes, I actually could. But in my head, I was thinking, well, what's the point unless I do 10 pages or I do 20 pages? So going to that gym, just getting your foot in the door, spending 10 minutes there, that's a victory. You don't need to spend an hour in there your first time. 
even if you go walk on the treadmill, you could argue you could walk outside, but you're getting yourself conditioned to that environment. You know, you're, that's that's mm. what I would say. I would say start small, pick your battles. You know, you don't have to suddenly flip your whole belief system. Like, what are you uncomfortable with mm. now? Like, write those things down. What could you potentially tackle? You know, is it I want to wear a certain dress or I want to, like me, I want to be able to wear a vest on the beach and not feel self-conscious. I want to be able to have a photograph taken. Um, you know, I want to be able to have bigger arms than most girls. You know, whatever it is, how do you then break that down? How is that then going to challenge you and transform you? But if you start at the smallest micro level, 10 minutes in the gym, even if it's only once a week, that's probably better than you're already doing. So then once you're there, mm. have you, you've read uh, Atomic Habits, right? Yeah. Yeah, so like that book is brilliant because it teaches you all about habits. If you haven't read it, go read Atomic Habits. Um, it teaches you about habit stacking. So once you're in the gym, you've spent 10 minutes there one week, you can spend 15 minutes there the next week and you can get one of the gym trainers to show you one extra piece of equipment. You know, that's it. Mm. You don't have to have the perfect thing to begin with straight away. And at any point, really, because you can't. we both know. Yeah, we both know that consistency is the only secret to this game. Mm. The power of compounding is going to make well, you it, win. Yeah, it's the compound effect, isn't it? And looking as well at the angle of what do you expect? It's like when you put a child, like you swap a, um, a child from one school to another they're going to be scared. They're going to not know wh which way is the toilet and which way to the, I don't know, the next classroom and stuff. And it's exactly the same. But something I agree with all you're saying, I would actually also love to see people removing or reframing. I either reframing failure to know that it's not failure. You could walk in the gym and I've got friends now who have been training longer than I've been alive and they will still go into the gym sometimes panic will rise and they just leave yeah. and it's like you know what well done for going and it's like it that's actually got nothing to do with the gym on that day it's just where their headspace is at they're you know how they're feeling on anxiety levels and stuff but they still mm -hmm. show up they still give it a go and it's going reframing that actually there that is not failure that is you just go you you commit to the consistency but then also not seeing failure as even an option and this is why sometimes i'm a bit anti-goals because goals can be finite and they are like mm -hmm. you you either win or you lose whereas actually I'm like the health game is not finite well it is when you die but you know for your entirety of your life yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> for the entirety of your life you that's your health your wellness your fitness is here forever mm -hmm. so instead of having a finite goal and that finite thinking it's going right I can't win or lose at this and I can mm -hmm. just put dividends into work towards it and, and, you know, develop it over time. But Dan, thank you so much for coming into the podcast. It's been great talking to you. How do people find you if they want to give you a cheeky follow on Instagram or have you got a website or anything like that? I do. Um, my name is at Dan Wines. That's spelled W-Y-N-E-S. Uh, website is the same. That's uh, www.danwinesfitness.com. Com. Uh, YouTube is Dan Wines, TikTok is Dan Wines. Pretty much everything is just under the uh, the, the name there. It's not 
not very innovative, I know, but it is, it's worked so far. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Have an incredible rest of your day.